This content is issued by Zeus Capital Limited, which is authorised and regulated in the United Kingdom by the Financial Conduct Authority for Designated Investment Business and is a member firm of the London Stock Exchange. Nothing in this podcast should be viewed as investment advice. Listeners should consult an investment professional before making any decisions regarding topics mentioned in this podcast. The views expressed in this podcast are those of the participants and not of Zeus. Please note that participants in this podcast may have financial interests in the matters discussed. Hi, I'm Nick Searle, a member of the Zeus Equity Sales Team and host of A Different Perspective. Here we interview interesting characters from the world of business and finance and uncover a different perspective. Follow us wherever you get your podcasts or contact me at live at zeuscapital.co.uk. It's Monday, 6th of November. With me today, I have Anthony Chow. Anthony is the co-founder of Agronomics. Agronomics is a London-listed thematic investment play into the cellular agriculture sector, intent on disrupting the $7.3 trillion global meat, poultry, and seafood market. Anthony started his career in investment banking in Sydney before meeting the legendary investor Jim Mellon. Anthony, good afternoon. Afternoon. I guess, as always, I like to start with a bit of background. So maybe take me back to Sydney and investment banking. Yeah, certainly. So, uh, you know, I was fresh out of university um, and uh, had, having just completed my economics degree, uh, I, at the same time, uh, starting out at ANZ Bank, I just uh, also initiated a postgraduate diploma in accounting um, and then uh, in my short few years there as a very junior analyst, uh, I commenced the uh, CFA designation, which I uh, subsequently went on to pass yep. uh, back in 2014. And then Sydney yeah. Investment Banking, how did you come to, to get involved in, in cellular agriculture, which I think in the preamble you were suggesting is a lot more than just merely meat, poultry and seafood. Yeah, in, indeed. I mean, meat is uh, a very exciting application of cellular agriculture and seafood, of course, um, but really we're talking about many uh, products beyond that, including dairy proteins, egg proteins, Collagen, we've got companies in our portfolio now that are producing palm oil, uh, coffee, uh, and, and even cocoa, all in a bioreactor. And, and really, I think what that portfolio speaks to is the breadth of disruption that is coming uh, to conventional agriculture. So how did you make the step from investment banking into, into running a portfolio of, of um, interesting businesses? Well, there were many years um, in between that, of course. Um, but in 2007, I moved to London from Sydney uh, with no plan whatsoever. It was just uh, a, a desire to see the world. It happened that my sister was living here at the time. Um, and uh, I started applying for jobs. And it was my sister, just as the world was falling apart uh, with the global financial crisis, who made an introduction to Jim Mellon, uh, my co-founder of Agronomics. Uh, and uh, I've been working with him on a variety of different things ever since that's really, we started uh, in deep tech and, and biotech and pharma was uh, really uh, the, the earliest activities that we did. Um, but about seven years ago, we narrowed that down into the field of aging research and longevity. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, slowing, stopping or reversing aging in humans and companion animals uh, and the company Juvenescence, which uh, Jim is a co-founder of, uh, with Declan Dugan and Greg Bailey, his two other co-founders there. Um, that, you know, that company has gone on to raise about $300 million now uh, and is one of the leaders in that field. But as that 
team got built out with PhDs, drug developers, uh, and so forth. Uh, I was working within Jim's family office, and Jim put me on to the next thematic play that uh, he had identified. Uh, and that was, uh, it was alternative proteins as a whole, actually, at the time. So that would have included the plant-based mm -hmm. uh, alternative proteins. Um, Jim and I took one look at those. We did make two very modest investments there, but very, very quickly realized that um, cell culture and precision fermentation uh, were much more interesting subsectors within this field with much better defensible intellectual property. Um, and so although those products are gonna take longer to get approval, and there were no products approved when we first uh, started investing, today we've seen the first products approved uh, around the world, in particular in the US, um, and this field is beginning to be commercialized. So it's, uh, you know, we've, we've, it, it all happens very slowly when you're in the midst of it, but yeah. actually um, really amazing progress has occurred. And then, so what is your definition of cellular agriculture? Yeah. yeah, so there are three key verticals that we focus on at agronomics, the cell culture companies, precision fermentation companies, and then the enabling technologies uh, for each of those. Cell culture is where you take a sample of cells from an animal, a cow, pig, chicken, bluefin tuna, whatever you want, what, whichever species you would like. Uh, you isolate the stem cells, and then you uh, give those stem cells the environment they need to experience uh, rapid proliferation, and then you end up with a biomass of stem cells. From there, you need to get those cells to differentiate into the specialized cell type that you want. And in the case of meat, that is muscle and fat cells. Um, and uh, that, that is really the key trick for a lot of the most advanced companies in the field, the rapid and efficient differentiation of those stem cells into the specialized cell type. Um, that is a really exciting technology. It is, even though the first products have been approved in Singapore and US, it is just a little bit further over the horizon mm -hmm. because cell culture has never been done at very substantial scale, uh, certainly not for protein consumption. Um, it has been used in the field of biotech for the development of antibodies and other cancer therapeutics, um, very high value therapies, but um, yeah, still has not been done in very large scale. And that stands in contrast to precision fermentation companies where what we're doing here is taking a very old, very established technology that's been used in industrial process uh, since 1978, but instead of applying it to very high value proteins like insulin, which is used for type two diabetics yep. uh, and so forth, um, we uh, are turning the equation of high value, low volume to uh, relatively low value, very, very large volume proteins such as dairy and eggs. Dairy as a category is larger than any individual meat category, $800 billion market. Eggs is three or $400 billion. Um, and these products have been approved in the US, in Dubai, in Singapore, in India, uh, in Australia. And as I mentioned, because there is such a long history of using this technology, the scale-up risks associated with that uh, are, uh, are considerably less than the cell culture companies. But it's not substitution, it's the actual product, is that right? It is the real thing, that's correct. These are not plant-based alternatives trying to mimic the sensory profile of uh, the egg protein or dairy protein. It is the real thing, it's chemically identical, and notwithstanding that genetically modified microbes or, or organisms are used in the process, none of that genetically modified material is uh, in existence in the final products. 
Um, so you can go and make cheese out of the whey protein yep. and caseins. Um, but there are some other higher value proteins such as lactoferrin, which get gets used in infant formula mm -hmm. um, that is of interest to uh, uh, some of our portfolio companies. And then uh, egg protein, we are not producing whole eggs, right? This is not liquid eggs yep. to put it in the frying pan, although you could fry it, um, but it is just the egg white. And albumin is the key protein you find in egg white. It's about 50% uh, by weight. Um, and that has applications in baked goods and, and all yes. throughout the, the uh, food supply chain. And it's used primarily as a binding agent. So more than 50% of all eggs which are produced are not used in a frying pan, yeah. omelets and things. Yeah. They go into food production. And I guess the long-term aim would be to reduce the intensive farming of, of dairy and, and poultry? Or? Look, th that absolutely is the long-term aim. But one thing that I, I do like to point out is we use the word disruption very liberally. At the moment, I think there is a, an, an, an analogy to be drawn between what's happened with the energy transition uh, and what is uh, in front of us over the next couple of decades uh, in the protein transition, as, as we call it. Um, approximately $2.6 trillion has been invested into renewable energy uh, since 2017 when the Paris Climate Agreement came into force. And yet today, just 1% of total energy production comes from renewables. And similarly, these large protein markets, beef, pork, chicken, eggs, dairy, etc., they are growing at about 1% to 2% per year. And the first large factories that are built to produce these proteins are not going to come close to displacing even mm -hmm. the very small growth rates that we have. So um, although many vegans and mission-driven investors in this sector talk about the outright disruption of uh, animal husbandry, mm -hmm. I think it is more about a, a, a me too and, and just requiring every ability to uh, produce as much protein to meet the growing world's population uh, and increasing demand. And, and we contend that there is not another technology out there that comes close to having the potential of cellular agriculture where we can uh, achieve a step change in the efficiency of production and increase food production while decreasing the resources required to produce it. I guess it's very important with our growing world population and also the growing wealth amongst the yeah. developing world and seeking higher protein. I indeed, uh, and it's interesting. A lot of people blame the global population growth for the challenges that we have with our food system. That is a very small part of the story. The real thing is the increasing prosperity, particularly yep. in emerging markets, where in China, for example, we've seen a 16-fold increase in per capita red meat consumption since the 60s. So across those uh, very large po populations, and that is reflected broadly across all emerging markets, we've seen a massive increase in protein demand, and there is no indication in the emerging markets of that slowing. There are slight changes in the Western diet, yep. a slight shift away from red meat, to an, at least in the UK, uh, over the last decade, a two and a half gram per capita per day uh, decrease, but that's been offset by increased chicken consumption yep. because of the perceived health benefits. And then what's the regulatory pathway for, for these products? Well, it varies by jurisdiction. Um, in Singapore, which uh, showed a, um, a very impressive leadership here, uh, the Singapore Food Agency has to sign off on those. 
5 million people in a market is pretty exciting and 5 million people eat a lot of protein. But really, you know, circa 300 million in the US is where things get really, really interesting. Um, And uh, for the precision fermentation proteins, they need to get FDA approval. There's this thing called self-affirmed grass, G-R-A-S, generally regarded as safe. Uh, But then you can get the FDA to certify that as well. Uh, And then on the cultivated meat side of things, you need FDA approval and then you need the USDA, the Department of Agriculture, also to come and inspect the facility in which your uh, meat is produced. Uh, So you need both regulatory bodies uh, to approve them. Now, not every state yields to the USDA. Um, Texas, for example, has its own independent USDA, so there is likely to be mm-hmm. a staging. But about half of the states in the US yield to the US, the federal USDA, um, which should make that relatively easy. And then I just like to note seafood, um, it only is regulated by the FDA. So a portfolio company, Blue Nalu, which had some very exciting news recently around an investment from Neom, the very ambitious Saudi yeah. uh, city, and signed an MOU. Uh, but Blue Nalu, for its bluefin tuna product, will only require FDA approval, and hopefully that'll come through midway through next year. So how many products so far across the sector have been regulated or approved? Um, so only two chicken products have been approved in the US by both the FDA and the USDA. Um, only one chicken product has been approved in Singapore. So that's why I say the meat and the, and, and the seafood using cell culture, this is a little bit further over the horizon compared to precision fermentation yeah. proteins. Uh, Perfect Day, the Every Company, um, uh, although it's in a slightly different application, Geltor is selling its uh, collagen products in the US. Um, and there are a handful of other companies that have had their dairy and egg proteins uh, approved as well. So if we now turn and have a look at agronomics, mm-hmm. agronomics, I guess in a way, is, is the way I would describe it is a, an investor or, or a venture capitalist investor within this sector. So you get to see a broad range of companies and the opportunity to invest in those within this sector. Is that right? That is correct. So... How many, how many investments does agronomics currently have? We've got um, just over 20 investments now, uh, and they cover all the major protein categories, right? So beef, pork, and chicken, as I've already mentioned, and they, they, those three categories represent 90% of total animal protein consumption. So if you don't have exposure to those, then you're missing out on that absolutely um, massive market. And I note that because there are some companies out there that have decided to pursue very niche uh, categories of meat like lion meat and mm-hmm. um, uh, crocodile and quail and things like this. These are novelty applications. Uh, one company even did a, a woolly mammoth meatball. And given the potential stigma around consumer adoption, uh, yeah. consumer adoption yeah. of these products, we think that that's um, not particularly helpful in the first place. But then we've got seafood um, uh, and uh, we've got two dairy companies that I sit on the board of two egg companies. So we really do have all the major protein uh, categories uh, covered. Um, Each company is taking a slightly different technology approach to whatever it is they do. And because these markets are very large, uh, theoretically, you know, both the dairy companies in our uh, portfolio could be substantial winners. And I guess there's a whole range of risk and advancement within the portfolio effect of, of 
your businesses. So an investor in agronomics gets that spread, that portfolio spread across the whole sector. Exactly. Now, obviously, we are doing everything we can uh, with our technical advisors in order to identify companies that we believe have the best technologies, best approaches to large-scale production of whatever protein that is uh, at the time. But we are not going to be right 100% of the time. This is still early-stage venture investing, um, and uh, unfortunately, some of our companies will fail. We're, we're doing okay so far. Uh, we had a couple of very small write-offs uh, back in uh, 30th of June 2022. But the thing that we successfully managed to avoid there was putting in good money after mm-hmm. bad and continuing yep. to prop up companies that uh, were sadly not viable. But you know, at the top end of our portfolio, it's no coincidence that the companies. Uh, find themselves there, we have likely invested three, possibly even four times in the companies at the, at the top because we have grown in our conviction that they're heading in the right direction. The management teams are good. The technology is good. They're forming commercial partnerships with, uh, you know, relevant industry players. Um, so, you know, that's, but look, there are no guarantees, uh, but, but we think we've got some of the uh, category leaders in there for their respective proteins. And then are you sole investors? Do you invest as a club? I mean, what sort of percentages of these companies do you, do you take? Yeah, we've got a pretty wide-ranging uh, ownership stake um, in these companies, everything from a, you know, outright passive position, 1%. Uh, and then in Liberation Labs, we own about 37 38%. Um, and that is because that was a company which we formed mm-hmm. basically in partnership with the two co-founders, uh, Mark Warner and Etan Bentheim. So, uh, you know, we, we've tried to capture as much value as we can um, for, for our shareholders. I sit on the board of nine companies. Jim sits on the board of three. So um, even though there are always uh, additional investors coming in alongside us, uh, it, we often take the lead position. And that means that you know, we get that board representation, we get good information flow, uh, and uh, to some extent, we can influence the direction um, of that company. I appreciate markets are tough, or certainly fundraising markets are tough at the moment. Very. But have have you seen greater interest in the sector? Are you seeing more investors and VCs wanting to play in this space, mm. or fewer over well, the last couple of months? So that when equity markets peaked in what around November 2021, right? And, and since then, I would say it's been fairly sparse, the, um, you know, the addition of new investors yeah. um, to the field. Uh, but actually, at the same time, just since summer of 23, we have managed to get 30 million euros for our portfolio company, Meetable, $33 million, including um, 20 million from Neom for uh, Blue Nalu. Um, and we've got a number of large fund or relatively large funding events uh, coming up, uh, you know, in the next three to six months. So I am somewhat encouraged that there are new investors and and existing uh, shareholders in these companies are stepping up. Um, but you know, you cannot get away from the fact that this is possibly one of one of the worst markets for raising money, particularly for venture companies. Uh, you know, in fifteen to twenty years. No, I, I certainly appreciate that. And how do you how do you turn the market perception? How do you allow the 
the man on the street or woman on the street to, to be very comfortable with this product. So I can imagine there can be some, there may well be some resistance. Yeah, that's right. But I think the consumer resistance or potential resistance will differ substantially between the product types. Yes. Right. With cultivated meat and seafood, you are often presented with something that sits in the center of your plate, like a burger or a chicken fillet. Yes. Whereas the precision fermentation proteins, the dairy and the egg yeah. proteins, these go into food in you know, large industrial kitchens. That aren't these invisible. Yeah, that's right. And and say cream cheese, you know, it might have a seven percent inclusion rate of uh, you know, whey protein. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it is possible that they will integrate seamlessly with consumers almost being none the wiser about, um, you know, how those proteins were produced. And I, I would caution that if most consumers knew exactly or went into abattoirs and yep. things like that, they wouldn't like the way that their food is um, produced. Uh, these, although this is a new uh, new application of uh, technology to, to food production, uh, we certainly believe that this is a, a much cleaner, uh, better controlled environment for growing proteins um, for the world. And then in your portfolio, which companies, I mean, I guess it's a bit like asking which are your favorite child, but mm -hmm. which are you most excited about or which you think has most interesting news flow coming up? Yep. What, should, what should potential investors look at yep. um, when they look at the agronomics ticker? Yeah. yeah, certainly. Well, look, I, I think one thing I should state is that th I think this field and the field of alternative proteins I'm, I'm talking about here is in desperate need of a big success story, right? We had Beyond Meat and Oatly on the plant-based yeah. side, which we didn't participate. And then, Although you know, coming under a great deal of pressure at the huge moment. Huge amount of pressure, right? Uh, Beyond Meat's market cap has gone from f above $14 billion down to $350 million. It, I mean, that's a really interesting argument or discussion, isn't it? Because ultimately, maybe it's not as healthy for you as eating actual meat mm -hmm. because of the preservatives and, and other additives that are added to make yep. it look and feel like a piece of meat. Yep. So there has been this great backlash against it. Indeed, there has. That's right. And and that's why, you know, we do need a big success story. I would say that some of the leading companies in synthetic bio sort of related to this, Ginkgo Bioworks, uh, even Perfect Day, which has raised $700 million, Upside Foods, which has raised you know more than seven hundred million dollars, the cultivated chicken uh, and and good meat as well. You know these are not looking brilliant. I would say I, you know it's not in my interest to talk negatively mm -hmm. about any company in the field, um, but all of those companies are a long way off, not just having large uh, product, large volume of products on the market, but generating cash flow. And so that's the renewed pressure from this sell-off and challenging uh, economic environment that, that companies are focusing not on, you know, amazing products and, uh, you know, pie-in-the-sky ideas, really, uh, you know, laser-focused on getting product approvals, getting products on the market, and uh, generating cash flow. So with all of that being said, uh, we are very, very excited by the third category of uh, companies or, or third vertical that we focus on, the picks and shovels. Mm -hmm. Liberation Labs, which I already mentioned, um, this is the largest company by uh, NAV uh, weighting in, in the portfolio. It is a large-scale contract manufacturer 
for precision fermentation proteins. Yep. And the reason that we wanted to um, back a company like that is because in speaking with all our portfolio companies and outside of our portfolio, it was very clear to us that there is not enough fermentation capacity in the world uh, to produce anything like a meaningful amount of proteins uh, for you know, dairy and egg proteins for, for food consumption. Uh, and, you know, McKinsey, think what you will of them, they, uh, you know, they've put out some pretty bullish numbers on the amount of capacity that the world is going to need, talking about a 100x increase in the next decade on the 61 million litres of capacity that's currently uh, installed. Of that 61 million litres, most of it is not suitable for food production. Most of it's based in Europe, which is a disaster from a regulatory, mm -hmm. regulatory yep. perspective. Yep. And Europe also happens to be a disaster from an energy cost Yes. perspective so the market is the u.s is it quite energy intensive is it well power labor and sugar yeah. uh 25 percent each yeah. of the operating costs of a facility uh in the u.s and we are pricing our energy around seven cents per kilowatt hour in the midwest it's double that in europe yeah. uh so europe has a you know even regulatory challenges aside it's got a, a problem on its hands um, but look, Liberation Labs is a third of the way through its um, build program of a 600,000 litre facility in the state uh, of Indiana. Um, and come the 1st of January 2025, subject to us uh, getting the remaining financing for that facility, it's going to throw off $25 million uh, of free cash flow mm -hmm. every year for the economic life of that facility. Uh, and that, in my view, is a success story. Um, yeah. And agronomics by that time will own about a third of that, which pretty much underwrites the entire market cap of agronomics as it currently stands. Do you have line of sight of who will take the capacity? We are in talks for sure with um, with someone to take a, a, about 50% of the capacity. Yeah. It's, nothing is set in stone yet, um, but we're very optimistic about that. Um, you know, we took, in fairness, quite a lot of risk, right? We took the view, build it and they will come because we just had such a clear view from all the discussions we were having with our you know, companies and the field that this capacity didn't exist. I think we're gonna be proven right uh, on that. And even in this challenging market, I think we're gonna raise $75 million for that company in the next you know, three to six months. And as you said previously, the regulatory pathway is easier for that product as well. Well, it, so it, Liberation Labs is a contract manufacturer. So it is not producing any specific protein uh, uh, uh. Other, other companies in our portfolio can co go to Liberation Labs, say, hey, we'd like to take your factory for a year to produce dairy proteins or egg proteins or whatever it might be. So, it, But it is the hardware play, whereas All G Foods, Formo, The Every Company, Perfect Day, all these other companies, they're the software. No, I get that. I get that. Yeah. It's just the fact that for third parties wanting to use your facility, yes. the regulatory pathway for that product oh. is easier than... Uh uh, well, they would have to seek their own regulatory yeah, that, approval. I get that, but yep. it's um, because the process is already well known, or is am I right in thinking is historically been used for insulin and other products? Is uh, that is easier than the yes, cell culture? Correct. Yes, yeah. that is that is correct. Yeah. That is correct. Sorry. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> absolutely fine. Maybe explain myself. Um, but just just to then pull you a little bit on which is your favourite? Obviously, I, thirty percent of NAV. That's quite important. Uh, a couple of others that you're quite excited by? Onigo is another favorite of our, ours. Um, it is producing egg protein using precision fermentation. Yeah. They secured a, uh, a license from VTT. VTT is the Finnish government-funded research institute. 
so a license to use their very uh, specialist strain of fungi called Trichoderma risi to produce albumin. Uh, and they are, you know, progressing. They, they are slightly earlier stage than some of the other companies in our portfolio. They are hoping to get regulatory approval of their albumin in, midway through uh, 2024. So, you know, not that far away uh, and are scaling up very, very quickly. But the team there, uh, including Chris Landowski, uh, who's the chief scientific, chief scientific officer, uh, he is the godfather of the industry and really knows what he's doing. Um, and albumin is a relatively high-value protein compared to, say, whey protein. Mm -hmm. So we think that this yep. is a really good application uh, of the technology. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the customers that, that Onago is speaking with are very excited about the protein. It functions just as you would expect it to uh, when integrated into recipes in, in large industrial kitchens. So uh, I, I think that that is, uh, you know, one, Liberation Labs, two, Onigo. These are two of our uh, favorite companies. I guess it might be jumping the gun a little, but what would the, what would the ingredients marking be? Would there have to be a different ingredients marking, but ultimately it's the same protein as an egg would be, so therefore... Yeah, so the products that are on the market in the U.S. Uh, on the dairy side, it says non-animal dairy. Um, now... It's very important from a food safety perspective that that is clear because even though these are produced, uh, you know, not using animals, if you're allergic to egg proteins, yes. you will suffer the same allergy yeah. from these proteins. So, you know, uh, consumer safety um, is uh, is very important. So, if you're lactose intolerant, you'll still be lactose, and you still have an issue with with a dairy product. Uh, these dairy products do not come with lactose. Oh, interesting. Yeah, okay. yeah. No, just by definition, because you're only producing the protein. Lactose is the the carbohydrate. Understood. Understood. Ah, oh, very interesting. Mm. Um, how do you think if we roll forward? 10 years what do you think what's the idea what do you think the sector will look like or from, it can be from here years, yeah well I, I mean look 10 yeah 10 years is uh, I think well look either way I think there's going to be a lot of consolidation on the meat and seafood side I think that um, the winners in this sector exist today in fact I think all the major protein categories the winners already exist yep. and I yep. still uh, very much yep. believe that we've captured a, a couple of the winners and a lot of that I guess is first mover more than anything or? yeah first mover um, uh, you know as important as anything is getting that funding right yep. you know I, I think it would be very very difficult to go out and raise 400 million dollars for a co brand new cultivated beef company yep. uh, today so you know the, the money attracts further funding um, and uh, I think that's part of the story um, uh, there. Look, I think that in the longer term, whether that's 10 or 20 years, um, we will see companies somewhat like Genus, also listed yes. in the UK, yep. which are working on cell lines and organisms and just trying to squeeze out a little bit more efficiency year after year, you know, one or 2% gains, which is kind of what the, the model that Genus works yep. on in terms of pig genetics. Um, and then you will have farmers, but instead of owning just fertile land, you will own, have land with bioreactors and large fermentation tanks on them. And, you know, ultimately, well, just in the case of like in Liberation Labs, it could, in theory, produce dairy proteins one day and egg proteins yes. the next. Yeah. For efficiency reasons, that is not how yeah. it will actually ha happen. And you'll have dedicated dairy factories and dedicated uh, egg factories 
Um, but I do think that the contract manufacturing model is something that is really going to allow you know, us to, to start turning up the S-curve of adoption because what that will provide for is large institutional and even infrastructure investors yep. coming to play where they're seeking not ultra high you know venture capital type returns but they can put their money into factories with confidence knowing that they're going to generate that what eight to twelve percent yield for 30 years and that's good enough for them yeah with line of sight of a customer to use those factories. exactly yeah right. offtake yeah. agreements and, exactly. and, and yeah. binding user agreements Anthony, as my regular listeners know, I like to close on three questions. If I can take one at a time, your greatest inspiration or mentor? Well, look, it, I know it's a bit of a funny one, but I think given that I've spent so much time with Jim and Jim is uh, such a brilliant thinker, it's hard to really look past him. There's no one that I've spent more time with uh, in the investment world. Um, would it be worth for, for listeners just giving a little bit of a bio for, of Jim's? Oh, yeah, certainly. So, uh, well, firstly, I, I have worked with Jim for yeah, since 2007, so coming up to 17 years. Um, Jim is an uh, ultra-high net worth individual, a billionaire, self-made, had a very good education, um, but has really done things uh, for himself. He started out as a fund manager uh, based in San Francisco and then in Hong Kong. He built a number of very successful businesses in asset management, Charlemagne Capital uh, being the key one. But he has been able to successfully identify a number of sort of emerging investment themes before they've become uh, mainstream, uh, you know, starting with emerging markets um, and then in, uh, you know, rotated into natural resources, made a lot of money out of uh, uranium and, and iron ore as well. Um, and then, you know, narrowed down into uh, the field of biotech. Um, and and uh, he, uh, Declan Dugan and Greg Bailey, prior to Juvenescence, all put in a million dollars to start a company called Biohaven. Well, rather, they own 54% mm -hmm. for that. And uh, just late last year, that was sold for about $12 billion in cash. Obviously, some dilution along the way, but yeah. they all uh, did extremely well, um, Jim also is uh, an author. He's written a number of books, um, one of the most notable being a book called Wake Up, uh, where he sort of successfully predicted in 2005 that the global financial crisis was coming. He cited an overleveraged U.S. consumer and an overleveraged housing market in the U.S. would bring down investment banks uh, in, in, and in part the use of um, uh, derivative instruments and mortgage-backed securities. That, you know, that was uh, accurate to a scary degree, mm -hmm. I would say. Um, and then he wrote the book Juvenescence, which is the same name as the Longevity Company, where he and I went around the world interviewing uh, all the key opinion leaders in the field of aging research. Um, and then specifically in cellular agriculture, Jim authored the book Moose Law, um, where I provide a lot of the research, uh, and that covers off uh, all our efforts in the field of cellular agriculture and uh, included a number of interviews with all the, um, all the founders uh, of some of the leading companies uh, today. And Jim would not want me to uh, uh, miss mentioning that he has more recently written a children's book about his dogs uh, <laughs> that go on to save uh, industrial far industrially farmed animals 
from the, the awful situation that they find themselves in. And he is soon launching his second book in that series uh, called Juno's Ark. Busy man. He is a very busy man. He doesn't stop. And then a book which has inspired you, maybe not one of Jim's. Yeah. Um, look, I have more recently, I've not been reading books. I've been listening to them. Absolutely uh, fine. Yep. Um, look, not so much inspired, but one that uh, caused me to think a lot is uh, Material Worlds. I saw that reviewed by Meryn Somerset Webb mm-hmm. of, uh, on Bloomberg. Um, and it just puts into perspective the scale of the challenge that we have in front of us in our push towards net zero. And I won't quote any numbers because I simply can't remember them. But I mean, the amount of materials that we are going to need to pull out of the ground to transition to net zero is basically more than all the materials we've pulled out, you know, in the whole of human history. And that's going to happen in the next couple of decades. So just, uh, you know, I'm almost not sure what to make of that. But it is, you know, I've got a couple of young children uh, and it makes me a little bit concerned (laughs) about the future for them. No, indeed. I mean, there's a lot of talk about an additional natural resources super cycle coming Mm. because of that. Yep. because of that I mean not just not just in EVs but uranium again being a, being a major focus yep maybe Jim can make his third fortune buying some more uranium well actually Jim is particularly interested in fusion yeah oh, okay um, yeah which uh, you know is the holy grail holy of energy grail, production exactly. you know no fossil fuels yeah. uh, un- essentially unlimited cheap energy um, perpetually what is it 20 years in the future yeah. but there are some very interesting uh, developments, which uh, quite recently, we, actually, yeah, 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 that's right. And Jim and I uh, look. My, all, essentially, all of my time is agronomics, but you yeah. know, I, I get drawn into one or two meetings here and there, just to uh, you know, out of curiosity. And, and we've seen some very impressive things happening up uh, up at Oxford. Excellent. And then finally, what piece of advice would you give to a young person starting out on their career to follow in your footsteps? Work hard, really, really hard. And just remember that you've got to get lucky along the way as well. I think luck is very important, isn't it? Indeed. Anthony, how can listeners get in touch with you? Uh, anyone can get in touch uh, via the Agronomics website or at info at agronomics.im. I am being for Isle of Man. Anthony, this has been very informative. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Different Perspective, a Zeus podcast. If you'd like to feature on the podcast or get in touch, you can contact me on live at zeuscapital.co.uk. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. See you next time.